he started doing rhinoplasty using the same techniques that he learned back in the South. And they worked in some of the cases, but most of the cases they did not work. Welcome to the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. To all our listeners all over the world, it is such a pleasure to have you on our second episode of The Young Guns, brought to you by Vectra, this awesome 3D camera system from Canfield Scientific. And our guest on the show tonight comes all the way from Uberlandia in Brazil, the one and only Lucas Patrocinio. Lucas, thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you, Cameron, to having me here. It's a wonderful, it's a pleasure to be part of this um, great experience of uh, Rhinoplast podcast that's reaching uh, worldwide. Thank you, my friend. Now, Lucas, it's great. Eh? You know, I still vividly m remember meeting you for the first time in the US a couple of years ago, and I was just so blown away by this family that I met. Like, your brother Thomas is also a facial plastic surgeon. Your father, uh, Jose, is a legend in the facial plastic surgery world. He's just finished as president of the International Federation. So my question to you, my first question is, what do you guys talk about at dinner time? <laughs> Great question. Uh, we talk about first soccer <laughs> and then rhinoplasty. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome that's it so, great question so lucas i mean you, you're very much a young and upcoming speaker around the world the stuff you guys do is fantastic you work together as a family take me back to like growing up under a dad who was a facial plastic surgeon where did this interest in facial plastic surgery and rhinoplasty start for you um, um my father well uh, he, he likes to tell jokes uh, uh, not all the times they're funny, but, uh, he likes it. And he says that, uh, we, uh, Tomas and I, we had, uh, the freedom to pick anything that we want as long as it's ENT. Um, so, uh, that's not, uh, really, uh, uh, true. I really love, uh, what I do. Uh, when we were kids, my father used to take me for some emergencies like uh, zygomatic fractures, uh, uh, nasal fractures, which were quick. And so he took us on Sundays for hospitals. And so I think that's uh, the first time that we really liked uh, the medical profession. And the second, and I think probably the most important one, that uh, my father loves what he does. And when you love what you do, uh, everyone... Uh, thinks that that's something that I should do because if he loves it, it must be nice to do it. And I think that's, uh, that's the most important thing. Now oh, that's awesome, man. And you guys work together in a practice. Yeah, we work together in a practice. My, uh, my father came to Berlandia in 1979, uh, in January. I was born in October. Uh, and then uh, two and a half years later, my brother was born here too. Uh, my father started uh, as the professor at the university here in uh, that year. And since then I've lived here. I had my uh, all my graduation and medical school here, my residency here. And then after I finished my residency, I went to the United States for a year for a fellowship of servicional fellowship. Um, in a lot of different universities it was a nice time. Uh, 
And then I returned in 2006, and I've been practicing in private practice and at the university since then. Wow, man, that's amazing. So, I mean, it was quite early for you to qualify and get that under the belt. I mean, you've been in private practice for 15 years now, eh? Yeah, it's, it's, it's been uh, – uh, here in Brazil, we say that uh, uh, doctors, they have 30 years of uh, practice. Then they should um, retire. So I'm like a plane. I'm just uh, going down. I'm seeing the airport. I think probably I will be retiring soon. Uh, no way, earlier than my father. No, no, no. You've got so much to still give. Eh? So, so Lucas, I know you've got a beautiful little daughter. How have you been able to marry like your marriage life with this work that you do and, and having kids as a, as a young and upcoming facial plastic surgeon? Um, uh, uh, I met my wife um, the last year of my residency. And when we, when I finished, uh, I went to the States for a year. So we kept talking, and when we returned, we kept our um, talking, coming and going. And then um, in 2011, we engaged. In 2013, we were married. And this uh, last year, we had our first and only son, uh, which was uh, very difficult. It took us seven years. We had a lot of treatments so for us is a miracle uh i think it's the best thing has ever happened to our lives i mean that's awesome eh? i mean i remember our third little baby was born one week before my final residency exams in ent as well it's amazing that i think the stuff you've been able to do and the stuff i do it's because of our wives being so much a part of us it's it's not me doing something it's us doing it you know um, and it's awesome to see. I, I just love watching on, on your Instagram and your social media pages how much that means to you that actually your little son and your marriage is so much more important than what the amazing work that you do in facial plastic surgery. Yeah, it's good. My, my, my wife is a dentist and it, we work together. Um, um, you know, most, most of my practice is rhinoplasty and the second most important surgery uh, for me is orthognatic surgery. So uh, she's an orthodontist and we work together preparing the cases and doing the cases together. Uh, so uh, it's been awesome this um, 15 years together doing wonderful uh, cases, good jobs, uh, happy patients. And well, that was uh, it's still very nice to be together working and living together and having a Wonderful oh, that's great. Eh? My, my wife, Colleen, is also my assistant in theater. Uh, we were at medical school together. So I guess your son is going to have the choice between orthognatic surgery or rhinoplasty. Yeah, um, I think, um, let's see, uh, in 15 years where we're going, things are changing too fast. Awesome. Um, as I told you, when I was a kid, I couldn't figure out anything else uh, instead of doing ENT and facial plastic. That was my life. And that, uh, since I started medical school, that's what I really wanted. Um, fortunately, I had the opportunity of uh, visiting the greatest surgeons uh, in the United States, uh, in South America and Europe. And that was something that uh, brought me different ideas, 
and we could build uh, with my father and my brother uh, great uh, practice with um, great assistance to the patients and well, well, we're happy. That's awesome. So Lucas, I wanna ask you, say I'm, I'm a young medical student. What, what is the advice you give to a young medical student even considering wanting to do uh, ENT or rhinoplasty? Don't miss any opportunity that comes to you. Uh, every little opportunity is important. Um, you should work hard. You should pick everything, do everything the first 15 years, and then we can change. You can go and go down slow, but at the beginning, you should do everything. Everything is a brick on the big pyramid you're, you're, you're building. That's it. Oh, that's awesome. So Lucas, I know we, we were chatting a little bit before the show started about a topic that you wanted to climb into. And I think it's such a good topic because we actually haven't covered it at all yet in the rhinoplasty podcast. And that is rhinoplasty in African-American noses. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, here. Uh, 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 well, I'll, I'll go back a bit in the, the my father's history because it's, it's interesting. My father, um, it's from, uh, uh, from Sao Paulo state, which is close to our city here, but he had his training in the South of Brazil in Curitiba in Paraná state, which, um, the greatest part of the population is, uh, there are Caucasians from, uh, German, Italians, uh, Polish, and they're all extremely Caucasian, which is not very common in Brazil. So uh, he was the first resident of the, that university in 76. His mentor was Jean Maniglia. Jean Maniglia has recently uh, returned from United States from uh, after 12 years working in New York. Um, and he taught him a lot of rhinoplasty and facial plastic surgery. And when he came to Berlandia, Berlandia is in the center of the country. And we have the mixture from the African that came from the slavery in the north of Brazil and the guys that came from the south, the, the Italians. And so we had a, a mixture of noses and he started doing rhinoplasty using the same techniques that he learned back in the south. And they worked in some of the cases, but most of the cases they did not work. And he had to try different things at that time. Uh, in the 80s, we, uh, we, in Brazil, we don't have that much of inf information. Most uh, of the revolution in rhinoplasty in, in, in South America came from Colombia, from Fernando Pedrosa. He was a guy that was doing different stuff uh, in the 80s, using columnar struts, using shield grafts. And when uh, in the late 80s, my father started doing this in Brazil, uh, it was kind of, uh, he's crazy because it's different. Uh, but our patients were different because they had thick skin. Uh, they didn't have support at the time. Uh, open rhinoplasty was nothing in Brazil. Um, in the late nineties or in the beginning of the 2000s, it's when I went to the United States. Uh, when I returned, a few, uh, probably no one were, was doing open rhinoplasty. Uh, just for a few cases. We have a paper from 2000 in African-American patients with open rhinoplasty, uh, but uh, we're doing few cases. Uh, nowadays, 99% uh, of my patients uh, do open rhinoplasty. Uh, 
And at that time, when we said uh, you're doing an open rhinoplasty in a uh, patient with thick skin, uh, black, uh, African-American, African descent, uh, it was like, uh, no, it's not going to work. You're going to have bad scar. Uh, that, that's, that's bad. And, but nowadays, it's extremely common. Uh, and it's, in fact, something that I, I feel that uh, extremely important. If you don't structure uh, the nose in this uh, thick skin and oily skin patients, you're, gonna, you're not going get, to get, get the results you want to achieve. No, I agree 100%. I mean, just the African continent has 1.2 billion people on it. And we know how many African people have moved over to both North and South America. So I think it's essential to, to be able to understand how our cultures are so different, our skins are so different, our faces are so different, that you can't just have that one like laser approach to rhinoplasty. Yeah, that's it. It's difficult to... Uh, explain to uh, guys from all over the world that we have uh, African uh, descent patients, but they're not all the same. We have patients with black skin, but thin skin. We have patients with uh, white skin, but thick skin. And, and that's, uh, it's, it's awesome because uh, you have to deal with different characteristics. And, and for those uh, who are not used with that, uh, probably the Americans nowadays are more used to that, but the Europeans and especially the Asians, they really don't understand that much. Yeah. It's difficult to explain that uh, Africans are not the same. Uh, it's not because he's black that he has the same nose. It's extremely different. We have a range of blacks, of, of, of African-Americans, that it's a whole range of noses. Okay, awesome. Well, Lucas, please queue up your, your, your presentation. And um, whilst you get that ready, I'll remind you that many listeners are, are not able to watch through YouTube. So they're listening on the various podcast platforms around the world. So try and imagine as if you're actually not presenting, you're just talking so that somebody can understand that if they're not watching your screen. Yeah, great. Okay. That's it? That's perfect. Thank you. Okay, Cameron. Um, I think that um, what I can add to the wonderful work that you've been doing for the last uh, months, um, I've uh, heard and I've seen most of the, the podcasts. And I think something that we have here in my city and my practice uh, is some few... Uh, things that we do, not different, but we emphasize a lot when we think of uh, African-American rhinoplasty or um, black rhinoplasty or thick skin rhinoplasty. Um, I will uh, try to focus on uh, some few key points about that. The first, uh, it's the refinement. Almost all of these patients, they they come for tip refinement. And um, what we want to do is put the highlights in the center of the nose and put the shadows on the sides. That's what uh, uh, Dean Toriyomi taught us and that's what 
all the patients want. And they do this with uh, filters in Instagram. Uh, uh, we are seeing here a, a, a picture of a patient that didn't do rhinoplasty. She just uses filters. And that's what we want to do. We want to do a permanent filter for the nose. And that's what I tell the patients. We try to do a selective defatting. We take fat from the places that we want to put the shadows in and leave the fat on the places that we want to highlight. So we leave fat on the tip. We take the fat off on the sidewalls, on the alar, uh, supra alar crease, uh, on the supra tip area. And that's how we try to uh, put the shadows on the sides and the highlights on the center. Uh, we're now seeing a, a picture of a patient that we could accomplish that. It's a, 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 an African descent patient, a, a fake skin patient with black skin, uh, oily skin. And when we do this defatting, of course, associated to the, all the other maneuvers, we can get uh, better results. And so I think that uh, adding this to our armamentarium is an important thing. Uh, for these patients. I learned this I, from Kofi Bohani. Um, that's the paper he wrote the, that he talks about that. I, I've seen some lectures he talking about that. And I think that makes sense for me, makes sense for my patient, and maybe makes sense for some of our listeners uh, that have this kind of patients. Uh, the second key point for me is grafting. Uh, when we started uh, doing, uh, uh, when I started doing rhinoplasty in 2003, um, most of the patients we used uh, septum. Some of the patients we used uh, ear, conchograft, and almost uh, uh, none of the patients we used rib. But it was an option. When I wrote my paper for my PhD in 2008, it was published in 2009, uh, we created um, a, uh, a, a, a graduated approach for tip refinement and we had uh, seven groups and uh, at that time, 95% we were using uh, septum and ear and it worked well. We, we had patients, uh, we're seeing now a patient, a, a, an African descent patient with oil skin, thick skin, uh, no refinement at all at the tip but we could achieve a good result of refinement, uh, especially on the base and especially on the profile view. But um, I think that uh, things have been changed. That's the paper I've told you before. Uh, at that time in 97, my father was doing few cases on open in African-American noses and we, re we published that. But we think that um, not all probably most of the cases were suboptimal. And as patients change, they're still uh, looking for better results. We try to achieve better results. We're seeing now, um, I, 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 I always tell the patients that uh, the fake skin is like a, a fat guy sitting in a weak chair. And that's the fake skin in weak cartilages. They open their legs and they spread. And that's what our patients uh, complain about. I, I, uh, the, the, the greatest complaint I have from my patients is that when they smile, they nose, the ailer the, the base widens. And so uh, we have to do 
what we have to do, have to structure that. So that's why I use coastal cartilage for probably 99% of my African-American patients. Mm -hmm. And that's my second key point. Okay, so I want to stop uh, the you right there. I want to ask you in terms of um, the septal cartilage. So what I found in most African-Americans, we, we call them black in South Africa, is that when you open the nose, the whole septal cartilage is quite far posterior and the anterior septal angle is lower down in, than in the Caucasian nose. So what I, I, I've been trying to figure out is, so for example, if, if you've got the cartilaginous septum and then you've got the bony septum at the back, is it relative that we know that the cartilaginous septum is further back? Does that mean that there's still the same amount of bony septum and less cartilage? Or is there still the same amount of cartilage and less bone? Because it's the biggest challenge is you don't have enough septal cartilage to do a lot of the work. So you've got to look elsewhere. How, so my question is, how have you found that in terms of the cartilage compared it to a Caucasian nose? Is the total amount less or is, it, is there less bone? Um, uh, camera, I think... Uh uh, answering uh, directly your question, I think that there's less cartilage, but I think that's not the, the thing that changed my practice. It's because the cartilage is weak. Um, I can, uh, most of the times, I can have a great piece of cartilage to have a septal extension graft, but it's not uh, strong enough to make all the modifications, structural modifications that my patient wants. Uh, the patient I operate this morning, she came to me, she's an African uh, descent rhinoplasty uh, uh, nose, um, and she asked me, the first thing, I want my nose stiff. I don't want my nose to move. So um, I think uh, there's no other way to do it without coastal cartilage. Um, most of my African-American patients, my black patients, that's their main complaint. I want my nose stiff. I don't want them to spread. I don't want them to plunge when I smile. I want them uh, rotated. I want them projected, not that much, not over projected, but I want them stiff. And uh, so uh, for me, the septal cartilage won't achieve the same outcomes that I achieve with the coastal cartilage. That's the main reason that I've changed. Uh, the, the second, it's that I use septal extension graft, which is my third key point for all my patients, for all my patients for the last six years. And the third reason is that uh, for the last six years, which is my fourth key point, is that I do lateral crudal tensioning, which is uh, impossible without a stiff, a hard septal extension graft. Otherwise, we will have an over-rotated tip. So that's why I've shifted all my practice to coastal cartilage in this kind of patient. Um, the, the second thing that you mentioned that is really, really true, it's that the anterior septal angle, it's usually uh, more cephalic than in the Caucasians. So uh, most of the time you have to um, do a, and plan the position of your septal extension graft very well. It's not necessary to put, uh, for example, we're seeing here end-to-end uh, -end septal extension graft. But if you use a lateral to lateral septal extension graft, uh, you have to plan it uh, very, very well. Otherwise, you still have an over-rotated tip. 
that's a great point that you made it, Cameron. I don't think that uh, if I answered what you want. No, that's fantastic. I, I agree. Thank you. Okay, great. Um, so uh, keep, uh, the the septal essential graft, the, the, the third key point that I, I would like to highlight in this patient's camera is that I use it in every and all my patients. I think it makes a big difference. And the thing that I've been doing for the last two and a half years is using two septal extension grafts, one on each side of the septum. Why? I think even in this fake skin patients, one septal extension graft is not enough to stand the skin contracture. Um, and the two septal extension grafts help me to maintain the midline. So uh, when I use it just one, even end-to-end -end or lateral-to-lateral, side-by-side, uh, had minor uh, deviations. Since when I started doing two septal extension grafts bilaterally, I don't have this problem anymore. I have better outcomes in projection, less uh, uh, loss of projection in, in the post-operative period, and the patients are better, uh, they're happier. Uh, the first question they ask me is, don't, they, don't, don't these two septal extension grafts block the nose? And so the answer is no. Um, it, it really does not. It, it's, you have to, of course, close the dead space between the medial cruda, but um, I can assure you guys that uh, it will change. For those that are listening now that are doing uh, African-American patients, thick, very thick skin patients, if you pick and you do bilateral septal extension grafts, we're gonna love it. It's it's really um, uh, game changing thing. Um, it stands the skin contracture. It stands uh, the rotation. And I think the most important thing for it, one septal extension graft stands the rotation, but sometimes not the projection and sometimes not the midline. So that's why I've changed. I think that's my third key point. Because that is fantastic, man. I'm definitely going to be doing that. So, okay. So the question is very interesting. I saw you had that Medicon um, uh, cutting pad, as it were. How thick are you making those two grafts? Because general rule of thumb, you don't have an airway obstruction in a, in a black nose. But now you're putting in two septal extension grafts. So I'm presuming they, they go on either side of the septum. And then you're going to sandwich them together as it were how thick are those 1.5 usually okay uh, but it, it it really depends on the strength of the the coastal cartilage when we have more ossified cartilage we can have uh, one uh, centimeter uh, one uh, millimeter sorry but uh, usually i use 1.5 bilaterally so I usually have a 3.5 uh, columella uh, septal extension graft using the septal and both septal extension grafts. Um, the second point that I think it's important, it's not to advance the anterior nasal spine. Otherwise, you're going to have that wrinkle uh, over the lip when you smile. So when I need to advance the columella, I usually put a separate strut, a floating strut, just to uh, enhance the contour of the 
the columella. So I usually don't put uh, the septal extension graft um, more caudal than the, the, septal, uh, the septum, just on the anterior okay. septal angle, not on the posterior septal angle. Fantastic. Okay, uh, so uh, I think uh, most of our listeners uh, are familiar with the lateral cruel tension that was published by Rick Davis. Um, the lateral cruel still was our workhorse. The paper that I, 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 I've, I've told you about uh, that we wrote in 2008, at that time, 65%, 70% of our patients were doing lateral cruel still, but uh, using a columnar strut. And the lateral crew still is wonderful, but has some limits because if you steal that much, you're gonna have an over-rotated tip. What Rick thought that uh, we should steal more, but uh, we have to use a septal extension graft to counter-rotate the tip. And that uh, came very well for our patients. I think because our patients are very similar from patients from Florida. Uh, so we have a lot of patients like we're seeing here now, uh, an African descent patient with wide nasal base, a morphosteep, low bridge, under projected tip. So uh, in these patients, we need to um, do this uh, lateral crudo tension technique. Um, so we do the defetting. Uh, we separate uh, the septum on both sides from the mucosa just to add the septum extension graft. We can put it end-to-end, side-by-side. It's coastal cartilage, always. So uh, if I put end-to-end, -end, I put bilateral splints to avoid tilting. But um, I usually put bilateral side-by-side -side, uh, septal extension graft, as I told you. Um, I can um, keep... Uh, change the projection and rotation of the, the tip using the septal extension graft. And we move the dome laterally so we can have the lateral cruise uh, flat, flat and tensioned. And then we put the both domes to the septal extension graft so we can uh, set our projection and set our rotation. And it's going to stand. And it's good because for these patients that even with seven days, we're seeing a, a seven-day postoperative photograph that the ailer base that it moves in. So we have a, uh, one of the, mo the, 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 the most important changes that we need to achieve is to reduce the ailer base. So uh, the tension help is it a lot, especially in the flaring, not in the ailer base uh, specifically. So and it's usually long-lasting because we have. Um, this uh, septal extension graft that helps us stand uh, the skin contracture. The fifth uh, key point is that, uh, that it's the short axis of the lateral crust. Uh, it was, uh, it's something that since I started practicing, uh, nobody gave attention for that. Dinter Yumi was the first one to say that uh, this, uh, X should be considered that the caudal uh, portion should be higher than the cephalic one. Then other surgeons have published uh, about that. And uh, um, this angle between the, the lateral crew and the upper laterals is still important. 
but in some cases I couldn't really get that uh, the way I wanted. And Rick Davis used it to use the, the spanning suture or some sutures to put the suture, put the lateral cruise in the, the right angle. And it didn't work well with, in my hands because they usually to pinch the nose or cephalize the lateral cruise. And when I did this, I had, I had to use the, the aileron graft, especially the articulated aileron graft. And I didn't like that much. It was not working well in my hands. So I changed the bit, the, the spanning suture. Now I'm doing what I call the, I call the pulley suture. Uh, and I just pick the lateral cruise uh, uh, one time, not when we go in and then go out. So I usually just uh, transfix the septum and then I transfix the cartilage, the lateral cruise when I return with the needle and then I transfix the septum again. That's why I call the pulley because it's not a, a mattress suture. And what, the, what this suture does, it stiffens also in, uh, the, the lateral cruise and it makes it uh, the, the lateral border of the, the lateral cruise to, to, to be higher. And it's good because we, get, we have better results, especially we're seeing here a picture of a, um, a guy that had a bad super tip break and he wanted a better super tip break. This lateral cruise, it's the most important thing that uh, makes that fullness at the super tip area. So if you don't control the short axis, you won't have a good super tip break. And that's why I think this kind of variation of the suture help us have a better first thing, a better supra tip break, and second, to have a better uh, ailer ridge support. And it most of the times helps me not to use an ailer contour graft, an ailer ring graft, even floating or articulated. And for me, it's important because I try always to avoid grafts. And especially we're seeing now a, a, a guy with a very, very, very thick skin. And it, that's, that's a three-month result. He's extremely happy, and we can see on base view that we have a great support of the, the lateral cruise, especially at the Ailer Ridge, so, uh, with, without using any graph. So, um, nowadays, I think that this suture, our key, uh, key our, our fifth key point, helped me use just one graft, the septal extension graft, in probably 75% of my cases. That's awesome. Um, I think you must call it the Patrocinio pulley suture. I love it. <laughs> I am for sure going uh, to be doing that. Uh, uh, we can call Macintosh Patrocinio pulley suture. <laughs> no, <really>. yeah. <laughs> okay, give us key point uh, number six. My yeah, okay, my sixth point, it's to repair the ligaments. Uh, in these patients, there's uh, a lot of dead space. So I usually repair the Pitangi ligament, and I repair the scroll ligaments. Uh, so I don't have uh, uh, dead space. We're now seeing a video. For those who are just listening, I'm cutting the Pitangi ligament separating the pitangi ligament from the skin for my surgery, for my dorsal surgery. And then in the end, I'm putting the suture, a monocryl four zeros, um, suturing that 
between the two middle cura. And that helps me avoid that space in the supra tip area. And that's nice, especially in the patient we're seeing now. It's a very thick, very thick skin patient. It helps me a lot. It's good to do this suture through the medial crura because we can see what we're doing instead of doing it closed, as uh, Dr. Geyer has published. This kind of suture I learned with Dr. Gubish. Uh, it's very similar what the, the way that he does. And it's, I think, works better. Uh, and the screw ligaments, there are a lot of ways of doing that. I usually do the same way. Um, I do it trans uh, mucosa. I put the suture in the scroll area and then fix it to the skin. I usually use a needle to mark where I want to put the suture and I, I mark it inside. I put the suture through the mucosa. I grab the ligament, the scroll ligament, and then return through the mucosa inside the, the nostril. And then when I pull it, I close the dead space and I have a better correction of the fullness at, at the super tip area. And that's the, the last thing I do uh, after closing my columellar suture. Uh, we're seeing a video showing that result uh, on the table. So when I pull the suture, we see instantly reduction of the fullness at the super tip area. So and Lucas, just get, get me on that. That's so only skin. So that the, to repair the scroll Sorry. area, you actually you, you're taking the the bite is on the tissue on the um, inside of the nose, and you're actually going through the mucosa intranasally to tie the suture. Yeah, that's the way I do. I, I've seen uh, other surgeons doing it close. Uh, I mean, um, suturing the the scroll ligament to the the scroll region. Uh, but uh, I think it's much more difficult. The same thing that repairing the pitangi ligament instead of doing between the medial crura. It's much more difficult because you're not you're not seeing uh, the result at the same time that you're not you're, you're fixing the knot. So it's 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 I think it's easier and it's better for us to see the result and to correct some asymmetries because it's not that easy as we think, because uh, sometimes we have to do one, two or three times until we get the, 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 the result that we want, because we can um, pinch the skin sometimes. So it's, it's good to, to see what you're that doing. That is fantastic. That, that's, that's another great suture. Eh? And, and, and that's, we're seeing now a patient, a young patient, uh, 30 years old, uh, uh, very thick skin, oily skin, wide nasal base that we did the uh, bilateral septal extension grafts, lateral crural tensioning, and the repair of all the ligaments. Uh, so we have, uh, it's a natural nose, but with better characteristics. We have a better refined tip. It doesn't uh, widen the base that much when, it, when, we, when she's mouse. We have a be better ailer base, a better position of the nostrils. The nostrils are more vertical now instead of being horizontal in as we, we see in all the African uh, descent patients. And we can control, of course, as we've been talking for the last minutes, uh, the projection and the rotation with the septicension rats. Uh, my seventh key point, it's the ailer base, which is very important. Uh, I've seen all over the world 
a lot of surgeons doing external incisions for ailer base reduction, and they have great results. I don't. I don't have it. Um, the patients complain, and, and I think it's just not me. I receive patients, I, there are a lot of patients that come to me complaining of external scars. We have patients with thick skin, we have a lot of sun in Brazil, they're oily, and they don't heal well. So I don't do, I never do external incisions. I don't say they're forbidden, but I, in my hands, they don't work well. Uh, and my patients, I, this is patients that come to me to complain about the scars. They want to change their scar. They, wanna, um, need, they want any correction, but it's um, quite impossible because uh, there's a loss of the transition between the, the ala and, the, and the, the malar area. So it's quite unnatural. So I usually do all my incisions internally. So uh, I, I usually try to correct the flare with the projection of the tip, with the tensioning. Um, so usually what I do is just to reduce the base in this patient. Um, I, uh, I usually start my incision after the sill, lateral to the sill. And using my index finger, I try to figure out the amount of skin that I want to reduce. Uh, if I still have some flare after the, the projection I, I had with the septum extension grafts or with the cap grafts that I use, I usually extend my excision a bit lateral, but never uh, extending to the, uh, the alar facial region. Um, I never do that. I really don't do that. Um, and another thing that I usually do, I usually put some uh, diced cartilage at the soft triangle if I have some irregularities um, and try to avoid that space at that place. It usually helps me that uh, to, to have a better ailer base too like this in this African descent patient, very thick skin, very oily skin. We can reduce the ailer base, reduce the nostrils, reduce the flare without any uh, external uh, incision. And like this extremely wide ailer base, we can reduce without external incisions. Uh, this is a nice lady, uh, black skin, uh, not that thick, like moderate skin. Uh, we could achieve a better projection, a better rotation. But I, I, what we, we're seeing now, it's a better base. We have nice lateral walls. They're supported by the, the lateral tensioning and the pulley suture. The nostrils are horizontal. They're similar. The ailer base is adequate and the, don't, we don't have that much flare that we had in the, the preoperative photograph. And my last key point, is the use of drugs, medications in these patients. The two ones is the isotretinoine and the triancilol. The isotretinoine was uh, uh, something that we've been using for the last three years. And I think it's, it works very well. We have papers. Uh, you, you had Roxana here at your podcast and she talked a lot about that. Um, I don't have, I don't think I have that much to add, but most of my patients, we use 20 milligrams, 
as a rule of thumb. Uh, I usually start uh, 30 days before surgery or six days, depending on the schedule that these patients can uh, have the surgery me. They usually have a lot of time because of uh, scheduling. So I usually try to use 60 days before. I stop seven days before surgery. I restart 15 days after. And usually I use six months in total. But um, it's not a rule. Uh, there are patients that don't use before. There are patients that use after. And what we see, we're now seeing a picture of a patient that uh, we use that regimen. We have here now, she's uh, four months after surgery. And you can see how the skin is much thinner, how the tip is more refined. And it's not just the tensioning, it's not just the septum tension graft and the tip graft. I think the, the isotretinoin helped a lot. And the patients feel the same way. Most of the patients, they, they tell me, ah, it's just six months, can I keep using? And say, well, you can keep, but uh, you have to be careful. You have to take care of your liver and you have to do the tests. You should go to a dermatologist and everything. But uh, the, the, I think the, first, the, the most important thing is the, the patients feel that it helps. Uh, there are new papers that are showing that after one year, there's no much difference between the patients that have taken um, isotretinoin and those have not. Um, but I think the patient's uh, happiness, it's bigger. I think, I think it's, it's, it's something that we should use or we should offer to the patients. Here in Brazil, it's like a fever now. If, if we don't offer it, it's like that... Uh, we're not updated, you know? Uh, most of my patients, even thin skin patients, they come to my office and say, uh, when we start isotretinoin? And it takes me probably five minutes, 10 minutes to explain that it's not necessary, but if he, he or she wants to use, they can go to their dermatologist and use anyway. Uh, the second point is the triencinolone. I think it helps a lot in the suprotip area. I usually use here in Brazil, we have uh, uh, as a 20 milligrams for a milliliter. So I usually dilute it and use it 0.2 or 0.4 milliliters at the tip area, usually 15 days after surgery. And I repeat every month as, as we can reach the result that we want. Uh, we're now seeing a picture of a patient with one month, two months, four months, and then seven months, how the triencinolone works at the tip area. And it's very easy to do it. It's not painful. The patients usually stand and, and usually they think it works too. It's, it usually enhances the happiness in the rhinoplasty. So, uh, Cameron, I think um, uh, that's what I think that I could add to our, your podcast. That's my eight key points to use the, the, what I call the selective defetting for tip refinement, use coastal cartilage for these patients, use septal extension graft to control rotation projection, consider using bilateral septal extension grafts, don't forget the lateral crew rotation, I think it's the best option for these patients. Uh, the pulley suture that I showed, it's, it's a way to control the short axis, but don't forget the short axis, it's, it's, it's important to have a better supra tip area. Repair the ligaments because it avoids dead spaces and so we have uh, usually have better results in the skin. 
um, don't do external incisions uh, and consider isotretinoine and triancinolone for your all your patients with thick skin Lucas absolutely out the park brilliant uh, on behalf of the listeners from all around the world um, thank you for taking time off to spend this time explaining such uh, those are eight exceptional points for rhinoplasty in the thick skin african-american patient i really appreciate it and I, I know i've been getting feedback from people around the world they're really enjoying the podcast and I, I appreciate you taking time off from the family taking time off from your work to do this worldwide rhinoplasty education so um on behalf of everybody thank you again for being part of this and a shout out again to vectra for making this accessible for so many people around the world um so thank you and have a great rest of your day Cameron, thanks a lot for having me here. Uh, it's it was a pleasure for me. Now uh, we're recording at 5 p.m. I know for you it's almost 10 p.m. It's over 10 p.m. So it's uh, you should be congratulated every time and every day for all your effort on doing that. Uh, congratulations! Uh, don't stop doing that. Thank you for for everything. <laughs>